The new issue of Vala, the magazine from the Blake Society, is out. It's a very beautiful production, full of colour and imagery, as well as the writing. And I've contributed an essay, which I hope gets to the heart of what I think is a real problem with the way that Blake is frequently talked about in the modern world. He's very much loved. He inspires many as well. And yet what often gets sidelined or overlooked or even on occasion deliberately written out is his divine vision. It's strange because he talks about it all the time, but it gets reduced to a human capacity for creativity, which is not bad, of course, but loses contact with what Blake took and increasingly presented as the divine source, particularly known in the person of Jesus, who is the meeting of the human and divine within us, for sure, but also more than us, outside of us, drawing us towards it, as well as coming towards us. And I think this is really important to stress, and I try to unpack in the article, because I think what Blake realised is that the age in which we live, which was emerging in his time, was at risk of falling into a dark, dead, deistic, and then subsequently atheistic cosmos. And that that would lead to the human sense of ourselves too falling into a dark and dead, doleful form, as he puts it. And so precipitating the anxiety, the aggression, the dire push towards accumulation in an increasingly powerless attempt to accumulate more and more as a substitute for what he called the all, the eternal, the infinite yearning which we human beings have that can't find satisfaction in ourselves, but can find satisfaction in the meeting within ourselves of the human and the divine, which he felt was the heart of Christianity, particularly known in the figure of Jesus. So I explore this in the essay, completely clear that this is not a straightforward vision now to present, because in the 200 years since Blake's death, particularly in his own country of England, atheism has matured, has become established, and the tendency to reduce theology to anthropology alone has become almost reflexive, unthinking, the default way of reading even a figure like Blake. But this, I think Blake would say, only goes to stress the seriousness of the predicament which was beginning to emerge in his time and has become pervasive in ours. He would, I think, critique the romantic tradition of which he's often associated with as becoming ontologically vacuous, not flourishing in the way I think that he would have hoped it might because it's become agnostic about the theological side of human existence. It's become wistful, a kind of yearning for a lost age, 
that is very good at evoking the emptiness of the modern mindset, turning to sunsets and scenes of beauty in a hope that they might somehow come back to life, but not getting serious about what that might actually take, which is the metaphysical, is the sense that we can't save ourselves and that needs to be challenged by what Blake called annihilating the selfhood, which incidentally I don't think is a dissolution of the ego. He lived in a time before the ego had been identified and I think the ego only really comes about in a time when this wider sense of connection and porosity with the world through the imagination has become uncoupled. Now for him, selfhood is the prior condition to that, which is the growing, troubling, gnawing conviction that somehow we are isolated, that our imagination is not a participation in the divine imagination that is replete throughout the cosmos and nature, but is instead a capacity which we possess perhaps uniquely in an otherwise dead, vast expanse of the cosmos and so must beam out like isolated lighthouses in dire attempts to try and bring some life back to the world around us. No, what Blake is saying is that these fires of affliction, this desperate sense that we must possess, that we can only trust that which can be proven and demonstrated, as he has Albion put it in his great poem that analyzes and diagnoses and catalyzes a reaction to this situation, Jerusalem, the emanation of the giant Albion. We must realize that these furnaces of affliction are actually the fountains of living water and that by challenging the nihilism, a Georgian word that was taking roots in his age, we can find Jesus constantly coming to us, constantly attending to us, this source of ourself which is greater than ourselves, never left us in fact, which is what he shows in Jerusalem, the emanation of the giant Albion. Every time Albion thinks he is dying, every time he fears he's become uncoupled from Jerusalem, his divine double, Jesus appears and speaks words to him. He has to listen to those words. He has to see that divine presence in the world around him. He observes that loss, the embodiment of the imagination in this world, actually is one with the divine imagination in this world. And so the poetic stops being merely a consolation and actually becomes a path, this golden string that we can follow to find heaven's gate built in Jerusalem's wall once more. That is the weight that we must give Blake and his vision for our times. That's what we must learn to trust again. And so move beyond merely reading him as a rather nostalgic figure that we somehow still love. And instead, treat Blake as he again himself said. He felt that he was receiving inspired words from the divine love that he was working with that inspiration to put it into his poetry, into his imagery, into his vision, because we're called not to be afar off, 
from the divine life. We're called to know it as a brother and a friend, called to know it in us, even as we are in it, mutual in love divine. And that's what his prophetic voice can offer to us now when we turn to it, to wrestle with it, to overthrow the selfhood that would tell us we're uncoupled from it and instead learn to participate rather than accumulate life around us, share in a divine communion with the minute particulars and realise that that opens space, opens time and leads us back to the infinite source that was there, divine, all along.